Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show where we, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. And I've got more movies than you today, but don't get too comfy, because oh, okay. the first movie on my list is a movie that you have seen a version of, a different version than I saw. Oh, fun. Uh, oh yes, yes. Okay. It's technically what I'm, I'm breaking the rules here, because this is the movie journal. The TV journal is something we do for... The Patreon, and this is a mini series, but I'm talking yeah. about it as a movie because that's largely how it's been sort of reviewed and discussed and presented. Um, and that is Raul Ruiz's six part mini series version of Mysteries of Lisbon uh, mm-hmm. from either 2010 or 2011. Uh, it's actually kind of fuzzy trying to figure out exactly uh, how each version premiered in one. But in 2011, a uh, cut somewhat cut down version of this uh still four and a half hours long with an intermission as i recall uh open theatrically played uh here in the u.s and and in other places um got some i would say got a fair amount of acclaim and at least one i would say uh not full-on negative but a middling review from tyler smith that's right Uh, um and uh, i never saw that version but now the 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 I guess you could say the original version, the the six-part miniseries version, which has never been available uh, legally in the U.S. before uh, this this week, tomorrow is premiering at uh, Film and Lincoln Center, Film at Lincoln Center's website, and then mm-hmm. apparently it'll be in July. It'll be available more places to stream, but for the next uh, couple months, uh, Film at Lincoln Center is the place to go to watch Mysteries of Lisbon. So uh, I was I'm really interested to talk about it. Well, you know what. Before I get to you, I'll tell the listeners what this is. Um, it's based on a, a novel from the 1850s um, that is that starts as being about um, an, an orphan boy who falls sick, and then a mysterious rich woman comes to visit him, and then the priest at the orphanage is like, I have to tell you something, That's that rich woman is your mother, here's how you came to be, here's who your father was, and then from there we learn, here's who your mother went on to marry instead of your father, and here's uh, a story about a pirate named Knife Eater who uh, is, <laughs> uh, is a part of your story, and then it, it keeps getting further and further where to where at one point like the boy's mother goes to a convent and talks and meets another nun and there's a whole long section that's just the backstory of that that nun um and i don't know what was in the version you saw what was cut out um i think i think most of this it's yeah. been a while and i don't have much memory of it but yeah, uh, but this, this sounds familiar knife eater definitely sticks <laughs> yeah. with you uh, and that guy's uh, ricardo Pereira is the actor he's fantastic he's mm-hmm. he, he's just playing it has a very sort of soapy type of feel to it and especially watching it as a yeah. tv show it feels like a melodrama and ricardo Pereira Pereira as knife eater is doing a great job as the like handsome rich just dastardly you know villainous guy but then he's got like you know he's he's got some good qualities too he actually seems to care about the people he cares about but anyway it's a uh, um the story starts in one place and goes very far afield and then comes back and then and um it's told with just i would say 
sumptuous visuals, I would say, is the mm-hmm. way to describe it. It's these gorgeous locations, these gardens and, and villas and, and castles. And then it's all shot with so often the camera is on a dolly or a gimbal or a crane. And there there will be like, you know, I, I feel like we've talked a lot about this sort of long takes in movies and how often they feel, uh, you know, their, their, their longness is like, uh, apparent it's a, it's what it's going for it's the yeah. it's the means uh, it's the whole reason the 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 shot exists is to sh- see how long it can go you know like in true detective uh, season one there's there's that one this has very long shots but it's almost like like it feels theatrical in that it'll be like a long static shot and then like the characters there's it's essentially blocking which is the term you hear more in the theater, but it uh, applies to, to filmmaking too. Uh, there'll be a long shot with the camera static and the characters will kind of reposition themselves in the room. And there'll be like this gorgeous sweeping, like camera move. That's essentially, it's almost like a cut has happened because then the next part of the shot goes on with another static shot. So they're long takes, but they're not that showy. Like, let's see how, you know, how many like, uh, doorways we can, uh, you know, steady cam through and stuff like that. They just go on a long time because there's a theatricality to it. Um, it's a very, yeah, very beautiful movie, very watchable. And now I want to get to, uh, I went back and reread your review mm-hmm. and why you didn't like it as much. And, hearing you describe it as a movie and the way it was, was cut down, it makes sense. I think to you, why, why, or, or makes sense to me why you wouldn't like it in that format. Whereas this, uh, I feel like you, even though the boy, the orphan boy is introduced as like the, the, the fulcrum of the story at the beginning, um, each, each, ep- each episode really focuses on one different character's story and they each have like a title so that you know this is the story about the Count of Santa Barbara. This is the story yeah. about uh, Madame Cliton or whatever, you know, like all these different characters that, that show up. Um, uh, and so I, it, I wasn't hanging on to that like, but what about this orphan boy thing? Because I think the, the, yeah. way, that it, the, the way that it structure makes it clear that's just one part of the story. There's more. And, and actually, as it goes on, I'm not sure if this was your experience watching the, the feature version. Um, I came to realize that I think the, the priest is really the, the main character. If, if, if this tapestry could be said to have a main character, I think yeah. the priest is, I think him and maybe uh, <laughs> Knife Eater, who has... He's, he has multiple names. Actually, uh, what's one of the almost every character in this in this whole uh, story goes by different names at different times. Sometimes because they have a name and then like a title, which is like right. uh, common, or sometimes because like with Knife Eater, they've changed their identity and changed their name. Uh, but really, like I think I think uh, Padre Denish and Knife Eater um, are the only two characters who are in every episode. Um, yeah, I think there's only barely in the first one, but so really, I think it starts out very much. If you were watching it as a movie, I'd be like, okay, my, my, uh, cinema literacy has taught me to believe that this boy is what this movie is about, but Mm -hmm. the way that it's recut and structured as a series, I'm disabused of that. I'm once that first hour is over, it's in the next title card for episode two says, the Count of Santa Barbara it says it in Portuguese, I know, okay, we're on to another story. And so it, uh, uh, it, 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 it seemed more, more natural. Uh, and it seemed like it's, it's, uh, um, 
structure felt more purposeful that way. You know, in a way, uh, because I remember seeing, and I remember the, the, the press kit that they, that they gave us. And it talks about this being adapted from a miniseries. And I remember thinking like, boy, I wish they hadn't told me that because now <laughs> I'm just going to be, because I, I might actually, if I didn't know that I might have enjoyed the film more i'm perfectly fine with something being meandering but there are definitely moments where i'm like okay i feel like we're getting too much time with this character and then somehow not enough with this over here this feels somehow how is it too much and not enough at the same time it's like oh because it was adapted from something longer so like either it needed to be cut down to like three hours a manageable Mm -hmm. three hours or just let it be what it is. You know, I think yeah. for me, it just never, it never came together despite it being very long and having an intermission. Um, I don't think it ever came together as uh, a whole unit because even though film and TV visually and editorially tend to operate on many of the same principles from a narrative standpoint, they don't. And so in order to adapt something that w- that existed as a TV show into a movie, albeit a long one with an intermission, I think it just, uh, I feel like they didn't do quite enough. And one of the things that I said is like, I bet I would love this, this miniseries. And I, I think, think, you I, would, I think would. all the listeners would definitely, I would say if you want to support film and Lincoln center, which I think you should, um, you can, uh, you can, you can check it out there. Uh, I would say uh, another thing you hear four and a half hour Portuguese movie, you know, period piece. It sounds daunting cut up into six. It's actually super watchable, especially sure. with all like how beautiful the camera work is. Um, and how sometimes very melodramatic it is. It's, uh, I burned through this six hour thing. Um, so, uh, yeah, I would definitely recommend checking out mysteries of Lisbon. Uh, speaking of, uh, older movies that are, uh, uh, this, this is all like all I'm watching in many ways, uh, lately are older movies that have recently been restored and are going to be, um, available to stream. So, uh, I don't have the information in front of me about, about where this is, uh, look it up. Um, uh, a 1982 Canadian, I guess, Western called the gray Fox, uh, oh, is, I know about it because our, our, our old friend Graham Elwood talks about it a lot. His very oh, first okay. appearance with us, he talked about that is his go-to of like, whenever you recommend something that no one has seen, but they should, that's the one he always went to. Well, I, I, I would recommend it too. It stars Richard Farnsworth. Um, and I think he was nominated for a golden globe for it, but, it, hmm. uh, um, um, but it's, it's based, uh, from, I, I did the thing I always maybe shouldn't do. I always do with like things that are based on our true stories. I look up the real story afterwards. And I'm like, okay. So it, it's based loosely on a true story of a, uh, famous, um, stagecoach robber who then spent 30 years in San Quentin and was released into the early 1900s. There's no stagecoaches yeah. anymore. He doesn't know what to do with himself. He ends up going up to Washington state, um, and trying to become a, a minor. Uh, and then he falls back into robbing trains and then has to flee again. And he moves to, to Canada, um, uh, to British Columbia. And, um, the movie, uh, this is obviously, uh, backwards, but the movie it reminded me of very much is the old man and the gun because uh, 
Richard Farnsworth plays an old guy who's a charmer. He does end up when he, once he moves into this small Canadian town, he like sort of falls for a local woman. He's pretending to be something he's not. He's trying to like, not, you know, he's basically just hiding out until he can go dig up the money he stole or whatever and try and, and live. But he keeps feeling this pull to go back to, you know, uh, his life of, of crime. Um, uh, and it's, uh, it, it's a, it's a really, I would say it's in a very Canadian way. It's a very modest movie <laughs> and a very sort of like, airy movie like it it's uh when, he, know, robs I, the, I, when he robs the stagecoaches it'd be like sorry sorry, sorry. <laughs> not, not quite like that but i i, I just I, I just mean um the 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 movie doesn't uh have any delusions of grandeur it's just a story about uh it's a small story about a uh a guy um who only knows one thing in life and is uh finds himself in a world where he can't do that one thing um uh, there's something else I was going to say. So yeah, it's, um, oh yeah. I was thinking about how, uh, I remember Quentin Tarantino saying that Django Unchained isn't a Western so much as a Southern. And I was like, well, this is a Northern then. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and, and you've got, um, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, a fleet sort of like 89 minute movie, terrific dialogue d- delivered wonderfully by Richard Farnsworth. Really? I think an actor that, uh, I, I don't know. I know he like he was nominated for two Oscars in his lifetime. Um, supporting actor for Coming Home, I think. Oh, okay. Is that right? And then actor, of course, for The Straight Story, um, and then died shortly after that. Uh, and I know I, I feel like he's not an actor that is talked about that much, but he's got such such a distinct presence. This is the a movie like The Gray Fox is the perfect, much like The Straight Story was. It's one of those perfect like lead showcases for a character actor type of roles. Um, and, and he, and he's, and he's terrific. And he, he's got this, the opening scene of the movie is him on a, he's been put on a train after getting off of San Quentin and getting out of San Quentin. Uh, and he's meeting a, a guy who's a traveling salesman who, who sells, uh, the, those Apple peeler machines you see in like oh, old, yeah, yeah. old time movies and he's shown. And, uh, and then finally the guy is like, after it's this great little scene of them, like peeling an a- apple, peeling apples together. And the guy's like, uh, what do you do? And he's like, Oh, I'm actually between jobs right now. And he's like, well, what did you do? I robbed stagecoaches <laughs> and then like a smash cut to like opening titles. It's a great, like for Richard Farnsworth kind of like understated, but full of character type of delivery. It's a, it's a, there's plenty of perfect moments like that. There's a very matter of fact uh, way that he delivers things. Yeah. And I think for people our age, he's known primarily for straight story and misery. Mm-hmm. And that's, basically Oh yeah. It. Yeah. Uh, and then I think, and for Jen, she grew up watching, uh, Anne of Green Gables, and he played heavily oh, okay. in, in that. But uh, anyway, okay, sorry, moving on. And then my third one before I toss it to you is probably a movie you've seen. It seems like most people our age have seen it, and that's why my wife for years has been like, I can't believe you haven't seen this movie. I loved it as a kid, and it's on Netflix. And so uh, finally sat down and uh, watched Richard Benjamin's The Money Pit from, from I, 1986. I've, I actually have not seen it. I, I swear sometimes like these movies come out and they get a bad reputation. And I, I guess I can understand why in 1986, this movie seemed a little corny or too broad or whatever, but 
given the benefit of like distance and, and, and none of that other baggage, it's a super fun movie. It reminds me of something you and I were talking about when we did our, uh, our commentaries for, uh, eaten alive. Those horror movies oh, yeah, about yeah. like man eating monsters. Um, those are available at battleshipbritish.com or to, uh, anyone who signs up for our Patreon at the Admiral, uh, level, correct, yes. um, at patreon.com slash battleship pretension. Um, and we were talking about tremors. Mm-hmm. We were talking about the idea that the reason Tremors is such a fun movie is because it starts with this premise. Like, okay, we've got giant worms that live under the ground. How many different cool things can we do with that? You know? Yeah. So there's like the jackhammer gets stuck in the thing and it goes and then you got the, like the, 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 the front porch of the general store, like accordioning up, yeah. you know, and like uh, the station wagon getting sucked under with the headlights pointed out like, yeah. and that's kind of what money pit felt like. It's like if, and I also understand why kids would love it because it has kind of this fun house type of thing. Like the house is falling apart. And so you get all these great little, like, yeah. Fun house ride type of moments where like after he fixes the one step and then he goes to like test it out and then it falls apart. And then the whole, the whole staircase falls apart bit by bit. And he has to like, Tom Hanks or probably a stunt double is like running up a staircase as it's falling oh, apart. Wow. And he has to like, hang on to the, the floor of the, the second floor hallway. Like it, it's like a, uh, like a, uh, a goofball Indiana Jones yeah. thing, or the, there's a, there's a whole great Rube, Rube Goldberg type thing where he like, uh, knocks a, bandsaw over and it cuts a thing that causes the other thing to fly. And then he gets a white paint on his head and then he's stumbling on the roof <laughs> with like a paint bucket on his head. And then he falls down and like ends up Laurel and the Hardy style, like in the, in the uh, fountain with the little uh, like Cupid boy pissing on his head. I can tell why kids would like this and adults would not, because as a homeowner, I would watch this and be like, how is this funny? This is, this is the most stressful movie I've ever seen. And yeah. And you've got, um, Tom Hanks just at the, I think at the height of his like eighties, like I'm like on a comedy star thing. And there's yeah. the, the one moment I know from the movie, because it's always, it was in whenever we play on TV, it was always in the commercials when uh, the bathtub falls through the floor yeah. and there's the shot looking up through the floor and Tom Hanks just, instead of getting angry, just like starts laughing maniacally. Yeah. It's so huge and so broad and so perfectly funny. Uh, but I also think that people don't like give Shelley long enough credit as a, as a comic actress, you know, she was great at, 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 at trading uh, one liners and barbs on, on cheers. And she's got a lot of great lines here when she, like the first time she tries to turn the bath and just like this uh, uh, sludge comes out and she like leaves and like shuts the door behind her. And like Tom Hanks is like, uh, he's like, he's like, you look, you look scared or whatever. And she's like, she's like, well, why do you see that? I guess it's the water. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah it's a it's a super fun movie you've got uh alexander godinov aka carl from die hard as the oh, okay. uh the sort of romantic foil the the rich uh pretentious guy who's trying to woo uh shelly along away from from tom hanks you've got oh my god there's such a great like this cast so many people went on to other things um uh, Wendell Pierce shows up as a paramedic. Uh, Frankie Faison is one of the uh, construction workers, as is Body by Jake, the Body by Jake guy. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right, but Z Ma, 
the uh, oh, yeah, Chinese yeah. actor. He was oh, just he's in, great. in the farewell. He's yeah. like a chauffeur. He's, he's uh, a, a chauffeur uh, who has like one line. There's a, there, uh, there's a running joke in the movie where whenever someone drops someone off at that house, they look at the house that's like falling apart and say, what are they testing missiles here? And the third, like, you know, it's a rule of threes. The third one is Zima saying it in Chinese with a subtitle. What are they yeah. testing missiles here? Um, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a super fun movie. I feel like I kind of understand if I were like an adult in 1986 and I saw it, maybe I wouldn't have been uh, blown away by it at the time, but I, I just had a lot of fun watching it. I predict I will be uh, ne- the next movie journal. I'll probably be talking about it because I think you've sold me. Uh, you said it's available uh, on Netflix. It's on. Yeah. That was kind of what, what, what sold me. Right. Um, oh, I'll see. Hold on. I get to read some of this cast because yeah, I mentioned Tom Hanks and Shay Long. Alexander, Alexander good enough. Maureen Stapleton is the old lady they buy the oh. house from. Wow. Uh, Joe Mantegna is a creepy uh, um, carpenter. Uh, Josh Mostel is the real estate agent who right. they buy the house the house from um i'm trying to remember who else there were like so many people who just show up for for one scene in the movie who like went on to be other people mike Starr has one scene hmm. uh in the movie yeah it's uh uh it's a crazy crazy cast all right what did, what did you watch all right so this is a film that is also on netflix and i had heard a lot about and uh, i found myself with some free time. Sadly, I don't have a lot of free time right now because I'm in the midst of finals and all that sort of thing and have been. It's the problem with teaching at two different schools is it's like, all right, I'm done with finals with one. Oh, here comes the next. Uh, So this is a film that I had heard good things about and I was like 90 minutes sold. Um, And it was John Watts' Cop Car. Okay. Which- Yeah, I saw this. Oh, you did see it. Okay. Yeah. So one thing that you and I talk about a lot is... Wait, do you want to hear what my uh, uh, snobby, pithy, dismissive Twitter review of Cop Car was? What was that? If you loved Blue Ruin, you'll like Cop Car. There you go, yeah. <laughs> uh, it did remind me of, of Blue Ruin. In so, insofar as just like, it, in some ways it really felt like a first film and as something that you and I talk about a lot... Whenever somebody is is starting out, they they've made maybe one or two movies. You can definitely see who their influences are. You know, when like we talk about in the in the early days of Paul Thomas Anderson, you see a lot of Altman in there um, and some Scorsese as well. Um, when you watch, not that he's a big director or anything like that, but you watch. Uh, confessions of a dangerous mind george clooney's first and it's like mm-hmm. well that's soderbergh all over the place partially because he you know actually worked with him um you watch cop car and you're like okay john watts loves the coen brothers like this <laughs> like from blood simple to i'd say something like a uh, no country for old men but with miller's crossing like these it's a very sparse film. It's the, the concept is really boiled down with, and then it's tremendously patient. Um, there'll be long stretches where the camera is just, you know, in one place as we watch quite humorously, Kevin Bacon just run across the screen, uh, panicked and, uh, and then, and so like, and the same as, as tends to happen, the same instinct that can make something funny can also make something extremely uh, frightening or tense. And I think John Watts really finds a, a good balance. Um, and I, 
I liked it quite a bit. It's very much up my alley. I think the two kids are great. I really enjoy enter back and forth. Mm. Shea Wiggum, always reliable. Um, That's right, yeah. And, and he has, you know, there's, there's a scene where he, he's, he's going to ambush somebody and he needs to figure out where to hide. But he's in the, they're in the middle of nowhere, just the flatlands of Colorado. And you see him trying to figure, you see it from the kid's perspective. So they're, they're watching him try to figure out where to hide. And it's some of the best physical comedy I've ever seen. Uh, And so that's the thing is like, uh, I think I, it sounds like I liked it more than you. It's not a perfect film, but there's a lot that I really like about it, but I can also absolutely see, and it's not necessarily a crime, but I can definitely see sort of the roots within something like a blood simple or Miller's crossing or Fargo or no country for old men. It definitely seems cut from that cloth. Um, And John Watts went, went on to make the, the, most recent Spider-Man movies. And I think he's quite, he's a very capable director, but in a way I'm, as you and I've talked about before, it's a bummer that he got those movies because I feel like after cop car, he, he wasn't allowed the time to find himself and find his own voice. Mm. He immediately got plugged into this formula. That's what it feels like a lot of, maybe that's, I don't know. There's, there's these, these indie directors often like male indie directors who make one sort of palatable indie movie. Yeah. Almost like as a calling card. And then they start making studio movies like Colin, Colin Chavarro or whatever um, is, is is the same thing. And and there's um, there's been others, but uh, uh, it, it, it does seem like um, sometimes the, often actually the directors who graduate from the one indie feature to the, the big studio ones are the ones who make the most like competent, but anodyne indie movies. I don't know. Uh, again, you like this more than I did. I did it. I, like it really worked for me, certainly from a performance standpoint. And I just really appreciated the patience that he had to let scenes happen to let characters process something it's a really good thinking type movie by which i mean you watch characters try to figure something out and there's a scene where a character's trying to uh unlock trying yeah, to break into a car that's the best and scene. It's, yeah it's wonderful so uh okay so what's what's next for you um so um I saw. Sorry, we have we have to record another thing after this, um, uh, and our guest is asking me. I don't. I don't think they checked their email. Um, uh, uh, sorry, I watched a documentary called graphic means hold on to get the full graphic means a history of graphic design production. Oh. It's, uh, I mean, it's, uh, um, okay, sorry. It's, it's, it's very much a sort of explainer doc, you know, it's, um, you know, talking heads and animated sequences. And, uh, I definitely learned a lot of really interesting things about, uh, how we went from, you know, the, uh, the old uh, uh, printing press to how to, to how things are, are done um, uh, on computers entirely on computers today. Um, 
and what I would say was most interesting, I think a lot of times these kind of documentaries end up being interesting for reasons other than what's the thrust of them. And what I found most interesting is that it becomes kind of, um, a series of lessons or examples of how, when the technology in a field changes, often then the makeup of people in that field changes because the old guard resists the technology. Sure. And so you've got, um, when we went from, uh, like the actual, like physical typesetting, uh, you know, like he's putting the upside down backwards, like letters in the press and rolling the thing down over, you know, um, and, um, uh, we went from that to photo typesetting, uh, a, a lot of the, reason that phototype setting came along is because newspapers and other publishers wanted a way around dealing with the typesetters union. Sure. <laughs> um, and so uh, they pushed for a new way of doing it. And so the typesetters union, which was mostly male, uh, resisted the phototype setting and phototype setting had to do with actual typing. So it was seen as quote unquote women's work. Sure. And so the move from hard to what they call cold, uh, hot to cold typesetting, but photo typesetting is what they're talking about, uh, actually brought a whole lot more women into the field. And then in the 80s and in the, in, in 90s, when graphic design started to go from, you know, literally physically cutting things out into layers and photographing them to doing it on a computer, the center of the, at least in America, the center of the graphic design industry moved from New York to California because yeah. the old school New York guys were like, this is as always happens with the new technology. They were like, this is a fad or this is, it can't be done yeah. as well on these computers. And, and so uh, New York is no longer the center of graphic design because of that. Um, and who knows what, what things will come in the future. I, I, that's what I found most, most interesting uh, uh, about it. Uh, other times I just sort of like, I, sometimes I like people getting it's like smart people getting excited about something that they're passionate about, even if sure. I'm not passionate about it. So, uh, yeah, the, the minutia of what they would talk about, most of it went over my head, but I was like, I love how into this they are. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, graphic means, uh, that's what I watched. Then I watched, um, a 1970 French film called the things of life, uh, which is part of, uh, so film movement classics has, uh, is, is going to be releasing three movies, um, that the French movies from the early to mid seventies, uh, that starred, uh, German French actors, Romy Schneider. Um, I watched the first two of these next week. We'll talk about the third one. Uh, so 1970s, the things of life stars Romy Schneider and coincidentally, Michelle Piccoli, who just died like last week. Hmm. Um, so that, yeah, that was obviously not something film movement was intending, but, uh, uh, the, uh, the movie it's directed by Claude Sauté, I think, uh, is how you say his name, Claude Sauté. Um, and Michelle Piccoli plays uh, a rich guy and, and um, Romy Schneider plays his mistress. And the movie, to describe the plot of the movie to you is actually like, not that, it's basically a movie about a, a guy trying to decide whether or not to continue seeing his mistress. Um, but it starts... All been there. <laughs> uh, it starts with... a it has one of those sort of 
in media res beginnings where the guy has gotten into a car accident and he's like uh half conscious on the side of the road um and then it flashes back to we don't know an unspecified amount of time before that which has the fun sort of uh, and very intentional effect of any time for the rest of the movie that this guy gets into a car we start to feel nervous because we don't know is this is, is this where he's going to get into that car accident um uh but then you know it it sort of teases you with that and then it'll it'll continue it'll flash forward to the car accident which is actually um for 1970 especially really uh well shot car accident really uh looks pretty violent and and uh and and damaging um but uh i guess you'd call it a romance it's really more of a melodrama um romy schneider who is the focus of this uh um this retrospective, I guess, that film movement classic film movement classics is doing, uh, really exists mostly as like an object of this guy's uh, uh, consternation, <laughs> affection, and also consternation for the most part. Uh, she has a lot more to do in the second one I watched, uh, which I just watched last night. It's called uh, Caesar and Rosalie, or if I'm being French, Cesar et Rosalie. Um, and she plays Rosalie, uh, Yves, Mon- Yves Montan plays uh, Caesar. And this is, again, um, kind of a, a push and pull romance. Yves Montan is a rich guy. Uh, uh, Romy Schneider is his girlfriend. Um, but she's sort of getting her head turned by this, like, younger, cooler, attra- very attractive um, uh, cartoonist. Uh, guy named David. So I definitely related. Um, um, And so the movie, again, it's going to seem like she's just a plot device in this. When I said the story, it's mostly about these two guys who have different things going for them. One of them is very, very rich. The other one is very, very cool and good looking. (laughs) Um, And there, they spend the whole movie going back and forth over each other's affection or over uh, Rosalie's affections. Um, at some point, at some points, acting just completely ridiculous um, and, and and childish, um, and the movie is really more about their relationship than anything else. But as it goes on, you see more and more how this affects Rosalie, and how um, while they're positioning themselves as who are you going to choose, me or him, she's increasingly being like why do I want to be with either of these <laughs> buffoons? Yeah. Um, uh, I, I really, I really, really liked the movie. It also stars in, uh, in the, the last section of the movie, which takes place at like at the beach, um, a young, uh, Isabel Huppert, uh, oh, right. shows up might be the first thing I've ever, the earliest thing I've ever seen her in. Cause I think, 1980s Lulu uh, with her and Gerard Depardieu was previously the earliest thing I'd seen her in. So this is a 1972 movie. Uh, now, David, do you think this, the film that you're talking about, uh, do you think it was the inspiration for the spin doctors two princes? Uh, probably. Yeah. Okay. That's my, that's no, I, my, my theory. What's funny is I, I was thinking uh, like while watching it, I was thinking about French movies about, two guys who are in love with the same women. Cause there's yeah. Jules and Jim and there's this. And then speaking of, uh, um, Gerard Depardieu, there's the movie, um, get out your handkerchiefs, which is a very, uh, funny, uh, uh, movie about, uh, 
a guy who tries to get another guy to sleep with his wife so that she'll be happy and come back to him afterwards. <laughs> Not very well thought through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So that's, uh, so those two movies, the things of life and Cesar at Rosalie. Uh, and then you should have one more by my count. I do. Yes. Um, so wait, what were the last three that you talked about? Graphic means graphic things. Means, of that's love, right. That was the other one. Okay. Cesar and Rosalie. Okay. So yeah, this was, I'm sorry. I'm looking at Isabel Huppert's filmography. Yes. This is by far the earliest thing I've ever seen her in 1980 is both Lulu and every man for himself. Um, uh, and heaven's gate. She had a big, uh, 1980 Isabel Huppert. Uh, on her way to being one of my favorite living actors. Okay, so here's the deal. People are going to get mad at me um, because I already specified that I have limited time. So why on earth would I spend some of that time on a movie I know is going to be terrible? Here's why. Um, so we get emails both as a function of battleship pretension and then as an offshoot of that, I still get emails as for more than one lesson okay. from just these very, very low budget, just crappy horror dis, uh, distributors. And uh, usually I just look past them, but David, I want to tell you something. When I was in sixth grade, I wrote a 60 page opus called Sasquatch. Oh, and it is about a killer Bigfoot or actually it starts as that, but look, there are multiple parts to this story. Uh, and so it turns out there's like a whole, uh, whole clan of Bigfoots, but they're, they're not smarter. This is not big a big feet, big feet. Pardon me. Yes. I don't think that's actually what they prefer. Um, <laughs> not but, the preferred uh, nomenclature, right? It's, it's actually Big's foot, uh, to, <laughs> if you pluralize it, but, uh, anyway, and so, uh, this is not Harry from Harry and the Hendersons. Not at all. This is, uh, a really, Horrible. It was just really one page after another of horrendous gore. I had just read Jurassic Park. Anyway, the point is, uh, there is, for no particular reason, uh, a little horror pleasure button for me because of this, which is killer Bigfoots or Bigfoot or Big Feet. Um, so uh, Jamal Burden made a film called Abominable, no relation to the uh, family film, the animated uh -huh. family film. Which I like. And liked. so I watched that knowing full well it will be awful. Uh, that's not something I do very often, um, but I was curious to see what, how are they going to pull this off? They don't have the budget for like a good costume. Um, and the movie is uh, unsurprisingly just awful. I mean, it is astonishing. You know, uh, <laughs> you feel like there is a certain level of competence. I mean, uh, you know that I, 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 I will watch like red letter media stuff. I just talked with um, Jack Packard from there. And so there are people who watch like these really terrible films, but almost invariably they're watching movies from like 20, 30, 40 years ago, sometimes earlier than that. And, uh, and there, I think there's this stupid recency bias that happens, which is, well, surely films like that aren't made anymore. Nobody who's, who's going to watch them. And then I watched abominable and I was like, I, no, these things are alive. And I wouldn't say well, but they're, they're alive. And it really is. There's one moment in the film that actually 
And it's a situation where uh, we see a guy who's walking in the woods and the shot is framed in such a way that the B- Bigfoot is probably about 50 yards behind him, just standing and watching him out of focus. It's really mm-hmm. good. It, like, yeah. it, it's really effective. Um, okay. I, it's something I've come to realize is that like focus can like the use of focus or something being blurry can actually be really effective from a tension standpoint. But anyway, uh, but yeah, the, the film is, it's, it's, I wouldn't say laughably bad because, uh, it also takes itself very seriously. And the way that it throws you into the midst of this quote unquote story, um, is really interesting insofar as, I can't believe they thought this was an acceptable script um, and that they think these characters are anything. Um, it's, I'm very glad that I saw it because it's been a while since I've seen something. I, I'm not necessarily someone who says like, oh, you need to see a bad movie every once in a while to, so that you can gain perspective. Um, but I do think it's, it's nice to be reminded that there are audiences that I have nothing in common with because <laughs> undoubtedly in the days of, you know, straight to video back, back when that existed. Um, and I worked at Blockbuster, there'd be people that would come in every Tuesday and they wanted to watch whatever horror came out. It, it could have been a, a big theatrical release or straight to video, whatever it is, they wanted it. And, uh, and I realize now they're like, Oh, if this, if this film had come out, you know, when I worked at Blockbuster, Ricky Goss would be coming in and uh, he'd be like, okay, so what do you got as far as horror? And that's how, that's how he said horror. And I loved it. Um, and I said, and I would say, Ricky, I've got good news for you. We've got abominable for you and it will do the job. Yes. Every once in a while you will sleep, You will see that the uh, Bigfoot costume is very like, you'll see a, uh, the hand, like take a swipe at someone and it's like, Oh, that's clearly a sleeve. Like the, the way that the, that the uh-huh. furry part is hanging down. It's like, that's clearly a sleeve. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so people are, are, I'm sure people are going to be like, you know, there's so many other movies you could be, spending time on like a couple of weeks ago, you were watching Yojimbo. Now you're watching abominable. And it's just because of the, the association I have with killer yetis or Sasquatches or whatever it is. Um, and, uh, I was, and also it's an hour and 12 minutes. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so that helped too. But, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I watched abominable. Uh, before we we uh, wrap up, I, when you reminded me of something, I keep meaning to tell you and the listeners about when you were talking about we get these emails from like super low budget movies. So sometimes I don't know how, but I get on all kinds of press lists, mm-hmm. and I have in recent months somehow been on a PR like blast group for the like far right crank. Like community, and so I'm going to read this morning. I got an email offering. Uh, I'm not like, even on that group. Yeah. That, how did that happen? Would you like to interview a basically a coronavirus skeptic doctor? Uh, and the, the the subject line is immunologist available. Do you feel the fear from the phony coronavirus models designed to keep you prisoner inside your house, waiting for a government check? <laughs> that's a, that's the subject line i got that this morning uh and Wait, i've been getting, I've been the getting these for line? months yeah that was the subject <laughs> line the, uh, of the email um 
Yeah, I've been getting these for uh, a couple months now. I keep forgetting to to bring them up because they oh, always yeah. kind of make make me laugh. Oh, forward those on to me. We could have a <laughs> whole other a whole other. Uh, suddenly, yeah. our podcast becomes extremely popular with some. Yeah, but uh, anyway, uh, okay, yeah. So, abominable. Go watch it.